You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. I've got my Bible open to Ephesians chapter 5. We're in our series called This is Real Love. And today we're going to learn how to love life. Um, I don't know everybody here today. I would love to know everybody here today. But I do know something that's true. Two things that are true of every person in the room. Here's the first thing. Number one, your bracket's busted. True, true. I got you, didn't I? Okay. Here's the second thing is I know that at some point in the last two or three weeks, you felt like a loser. True, true. I mean, do you, do you ever just feel like, okay, I went through the day that I could not put that, that day in the win column. That was just, I lost my mind. Uh, I lost my money. I lost my temper. Anybody? Am I the only one? Okay. I mean, some days you just feel like a loser, okay? So today we are going to learn how to win every day. Very practical, personal message. We're going to look at about six verses in Ephesians chapter 5. And before we jump into them, I have to remind you of context. Context, context, context. Because if you haven't been around since we started walking through Ephesians, um, you need to know this. Uh, The book of Ephesians, the most organized book in the whole Bible, it has two parts. The first three chapters are all about our identity in Christ. If you are a follower of Christ, there are some things that are true about you. Those things are listed in the first three chapters. Some things God wants you to know about your identity. Then when you get to chapter four, it completely shifts and chapters four through six are all about our activity. Some things you're supposed to do because of some things that you are. Now, we are about to jump into the activity, not just the indicatives about who you are, but the imperatives about the things that you have to do. The verses we're about to read, um, read like a to-do list. How many of you operate by a to-do list? I mean, if if you get to the end of the day and you haven't done these things, you feel like a loser, right? So these things are things that you must do every day if you are going to win every day. Now, some of my most vivid memories as a teenager are half times at my football games. I played football all the way through high school. Of course, you could just take one look and see that. Okay, and uh, unfortunately, during the senior year of my uh, high school uh, uh, career, um, our team was losing badly at halftime every game. We were bad. And unfortunately, our coach did not know how to motivate us. Uh, He did not know that deep down on the inside, we were winners. We were just acting like losers. Okay, and yet he did not know how to reach in and grab the winner and call out the winner out of the loser. Okay, so listen, today we're going to contrast winners and losers. You are not allowed at the end of church today to go out of here and said, Pastor Trent called me a loser. No, I am calling the winner out of the one who's acting like a loser. Okay, so that's what the book of Ephesians is all about. First three chapters, you're winners. Second three chapters, the 
can't act like it for crying out loud. Why are you acting like a loser, okay? So that's what the message is all about here as we jump into it here. And uh, I'll give you the first point, and then we'll jump into the scripture. Here's the first point. Winners fill their minds with wisdom. Losers don't expel foolishness. So there's a contrast between wisdom and foolishness beginning in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. See what he's saying? You're wise, so act like it. Don't act like a fool, all right? So the contrast is between uh, uh, wisdom and foolishness. And he says you have to look carefully. The reason you have to look carefully how you walk is because if you are not careful, you're going to step in something. That is the point here. He wants you to have the utmost urgency about the next step you take in life. The analogy is that we all are walking through a land filled with landmines and your next step could blow you up. It could destroy your intimacy with God. It could destroy your intimacy in your marriage. And if you are not careful, you are going to do something stupid. Don't act like a fool. That's what he's trying to say here. Now, we have to understand uh, kind of globally what the Bible has to say about wisdom and foolishness. So first of all, let's talk about foolishness. Okay, so foolishness is the default setting on the human heart on the day that you are brought home from the hospital, okay? When you're as cute as you were, mommy and daddy brought you home, default setting on you, foolish, all right? Wisdom is something that has to be imparted. Foolishness is something that has to be extracted. Now, if your parents didn't do a very good job extracting foolishness, then welcome to adulthood, you're still a fool. Because wisdom is something that has to be, it's the default setting. Wisdom is a change in the setting. Okay? So the Bible says that in Psalm 14:1, it says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So we live in a day when it's kind of popular to, to be an atheist and question things that you don't understand. And, and the Bible says that is a foolish activity to say there is no God. What's interesting about that verse, if you uh, read it in the original language, when we, when we say it in the English, we have to supply some words so it makes sense. So when we read it, we say, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. However, in the original language, the two English words, there is, are not in the original. So literally, in the original language, it reads like this. The fool has said in his heart, no, God. A fool says no to God. It is foolish to live your life saying no to God. And the reason we say no to God is because we want to be God. We want to play God. We want to be autonomous. That's what foolishness does. Foolishness makes us a magnet to sin, and foolishness makes us allergic to God because we want to be God. 
So don't live like a fool. Walk as wise, not as unwise. So what is wisdom? We have to kind of give that a definition. I think a couple of weeks ago I gave you a definition of it and I said, wisdom is, is seeing life from God's perspective. Wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective. It's simply this, if, if I could see everything that God sees, if I could know everything that God knows, then I would do everything God says. That's wisdom. But because we don't act like we can have that knowledge or that somehow we think that God is so far away, maybe he's not noticing what we're doing, then we live our life as if God has not spoken into our existence. Wisdom is something that God speaks into our foolishness. And then it's our choice whether to listen and conform our life to that, expelling foolishness, or that we go on and live in our own human wisdom. So wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective. Um, if you could see what's ahead, you wouldn't make the choice that you're about to make. Proverbs 22 verse 3 says this. Um, it says, the wise man, the prudent man, sees, let me quote it for you, um, accurately since I wasn't about to do that. Proverbs 22.3, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. So the idea is you're walking down a path, maybe you're in the woods or something, and up ahead about 100 yards, you, you hear something rustle in the leaves. That kind of catches your attention. But then you hear something growl and snarl. What does a wise man do at that point? Um, he goes the other direction. What does a fool do? He keeps taking another step, keeps taking another step, thinking that somehow what is coming in the future won't affect him. And so a wise man, he's able to see down the road and the consequences his, that his choices are going to make on him. Here's another way to define wisdom. And here's the way that I really want us to think about it here today, okay? Wisdom is the ability to, let me say it this way. Wisdom is the practical application of God's truth to every component part of my life. Wisdom is the practical application of God's truth to every component part of my life. You know, one of the things that I try to do every time you guys show up is I try to make sure that the message coming from here is filled with application. We're not interested in making Bible fatheads around here. Uh, there's, we're not interested in Bible information. We are interested in life transformation. So I don't know what you did this week. I sat around thinking about how can I apply this to your life? That's what fills my head all day long. But it's a frustrating thing for me because I don't know what's going on in the component parts of you and you and, and your season of life is different than his season of life and your gender is different than her gender and, and some of you are parents and some of you are married and some of you are single and some of you are not and I can't know all the practical application of how God's wisdom would apply to your life but you do and God speaks into it. And so are you listening for God to speak? The way that you get wisdom 
is by leaning in and listening to wisdom. This past week, I had lunch with one of my favorite guys in church. And the guy is so impressive. He's good looking. He's young. He's married well. He's got well-behaved children. He makes a good income. And the guy's kind of disgusting if you think about it. You know, it's like compared to him, we're all losers. That's, that's kind of what you think. It's like, well, how did this guy get to be so impressive? The very first time I met him, he, he picked me up in his car and drove me to lunch for a restaurant. And I looked down in his console and there was a series of three by five cards and they had stuff written all over them. So I'm curious, I picked them up and um, I started looking through them. Do you know, you know what they were filled with? They're just filled with verse after verse after verse, scripture after scripture. I said, what are these? He said, oh, those are the verses I'm working on memorizing. Winner, winner. <laughs> no wonder you, you win. Do you, do you, just, you know some people that just seem like they always win. And then you look at what's behind that and what is it? is they've tuned their ears to the voice of wisdom and they're living their life as wise, not as unwise. If you have some regrets about whatever activity went on this past week, if you feel like you lost on a particular day, my challenge would be this. Put this on your to-do list right now. I will listen to the voice of wisdom every day. That's how you win. Here's the second thing. Winners fill their time with best things. Losers are too busy doing good things. Um, I'm sure like you, people ask you all the time, how are you doing? How are you doing? And we usually give responses like fine, good. If you're like me, there is a word that you often use to answer that question. How you doing? And I have just tried as best I can to extract this word out of my vocabulary. It's this. I'm busy. How many of you are busy? How many of you are too busy actually to actually be in this service right now? I was like, I, I have so much to do and I don't know why I'm here. And when's this thing going to be over? And, and we got to get on to, because I got so many good things going on, right? Now, listen. I want you to read this verse, verse 16, thinking about your calendar. I don't know what's on your schedule, on your calendar. I want you to look at it. Verse 16, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Listen, the pressure that you and I will face this week to spend our time on good things without God will be enormous. There will be a whole host of things that will compete for your time this week. And time is something we spend just like we spend our money. Some of us waste our money. That's another sermon. But some of us waste our time doing good things that have nothing to do with God. If you uh, are like me, I memorized this verse in the King James Version years ago. And it says, it says this, redeeming the time. The idea of redeeming. To redeem means to 
purchase for a person's use. It means to recover by purchasing. You pay a price. And so there really is kind of this monetary exchange with every second. Time is the only thing that every person in this room has an equal amount of. And if you are too busy, it's your own fault because you chose how you would spend your time. And so we have to redeem the time the way that we would think about looking for a bargain with our money. Some of you are bargain shoppers. Some of you are coupon clippers. How many of you are coupon clippers? And if you've noticed a coupon, if you look really close in really fine print, way down at the bottom, it'll tell you what the value of the coupon is. Have you ever noticed this? It'll say something like, the actual value of this coupon is one twentieth of a penny. Oh, I called, I thought it said $10 off at Kohl's, you know? And, well, yeah, if you redeem it, but some of us don't redeem the time. And so your time is filled with worthless activity. And so we have to do things that are best things, things that only we can do, which means you have to say no to a lot of good things in order to say yes to best things. Now, if you're a follower of Christ, there are some things that only you can do. Only you can pray and move heaven with your prayers. So prayer would be a best thing for you to do. And yet, how many of us are way too busy to pray? You've said no to a lot of good things, but you haven't said yes to a best thing. Some of you are way too busy to actually pick up some responsibility in the kingdom of God and say, yeah, I'm going to spend an hour on Sunday holding a baby or serving. Uh, I, I, can, I can do something that isn't always spent on me. One of the best uses of time is to spend time on something totally unrelated to you, building others up, encouraging, praying for, serving someone else. So many needs in the body of Christ, and yet so few people that have any time to spend on that. There's a guy in our church, um, most, a lot of you know him. His name is Edward Hayes. How many of you know Edward Hayes? I want to be like Edward when I grow up. He's my same age. Um, Edward um, and, and his wife, Denise, uh, went with Andrea and I, along with our daughter, Brooke, to Romania a couple of weeks ago, and uh, then to Hungary. And uh, I am so impressed with Edward. Edward, he spends everything he has on best things. Now, Edward has a good job. He works for IBM, and IBM takes care of his salary. But do you know what we spend IBM's money on through Edward? We spend it on ministry. IBM has no idea how much ministry they're funding through Edward. Because Edward travels a lot, which means he he gets a lot of frequent flyer miles. Do you know what he redeems his frequent flyer miles on? Going to places like Hungary and, and Romania and building the church there and, 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 and using that extra, something that most of us would spend on ourselves, he uses it to fund ministry. Edward's a busy man. He probably works 60 or 70 hours a week. But do you know what he's doing? The other, I don't know when the man sleeps. But 
every other waking moment, he is looking for the next ministry opportunity. He may be downtown at Hope Ministries doing, he, he's the guy that organizes our project warm thing that you are always hearing us tell how we can be involved down there. And, and you know, the second Saturday where we serve the community, he's always out there finding something for us to do. And I, Edward is a guy that redeems the time. Why? Because he knows how evil the days are. And we've only got a limited number of days, a limited amount of time that God uses, that God gives us to push back the evil. So how are you spending your time? I challenge you in the next week just to take inventory of every hour. Get a chart, list the 24 hours, mark off your eight hours of sleep or however long you sleep. And then what did you do with the other 16? It's like, well, I spent another eight hours at work. Okay, well, what'd you do with the other eight hours? I spent four hours eating. I'm a hungry man. And so, all right, now I got like four hours left. And, and so what, I spent an hour on Facebook. You know, I, I spent an hour watching the tournament. Well, all right, now pretty soon you've done a lot of good things. How many best things have you done? Take inventory of that. And so we have to use these things for God's purpose. Put this on your to-do list. You want to be a winner? Put this on your to-do list. I will only say yes to best things this week. I will only say things to, I will only say yes to best things every day. Here's the third thing. Winners fill their lives with God's spirit. Losers give control to substance. Winners fill their lives with God's spirit. Losers give control to substance. Look at verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Probably a word that you used often in conversation this week, debauchery. Did you use that word this week? Have you did not use that word this week? Have you have no idea what that word means? Good. Aren't you glad you came to church? You're going to learn something. So, so debauchery means excess. It means recklessness. It means living your life outside of boundaries, outside the guardrails. You're about to go over the cliff and cause damage. That's, that's what debauchery is, okay? So he says, do not be drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. But in contrast, here's what winners do, be filled with the Spirit. Winners and losers. Losers get drunk with wine. Winners are filled with the Spirit. Now, I know this is a controversial subject, so let's talk about it. And um, so let's talk about, let's talk about intoxicating subject, uh, substance, all right? So um, um, here, here's what the Bible says. The Bible does not say, does not forbid all use of, of alcohol. The Bible absolutely, under every circumstance, forbids drunkenness. Now, I have, I have chosen not to drink. I don't drink, I've never drunk, I've never been drunk, I've never had a beer. Uh, I have had a lot of pressure put on me to have a beer. Uh, I've paid a price, I've lost friends because I wouldn't have a beer. Um, I'm maybe gonna lose some of you because now you're gonna think, well, this is a place that doesn't appreciate the good use of a beer. Well, I'm gonna take that risk. Um, you are loved. <laughs> We need your seat. So uh, anyway, hope you'll come back next week. Uh, now listen, I, I don't drink. I don't drink. I don't think you should drink. 
I don't think you should have beer in your home. I don't think you should have it in your refrigerator. I don't think you should be. You just, listen, the reason for that for me, listen, I have enough trouble being wise when I'm not drunk. Okay. I can only imagine how stupid I could be when I am. And for those of you, you have to understand here that there's a lot of scripture that says, you know, it's just not wise for you. Listen, I abuse diet Coke. I can't handle anything that's going to intoxicate me. All right. So, so I, it's just not on the table for me. And I would recommend that highly for you as well. But that's really not the point of verse 18. Now, Paul, I think Paul is assuming that a lot of the people in Ephesus knew what it was like to be drunk. And since Paul assumed that about the church in Ephesus, I, as your pastor, am going to assume that about some of you. Some of you know what it's like to be drunk. Anybody want to? No, we won't give a testimony. Uh, now, now, some of you, seriously, you can look back in your past, and hopefully it's been a long time ago, but you can think about a time when you were drunk and you woke up and you're like, I don't know what I did, but I'm sure I'm ashamed of it. And uh, there are regrets. And listen, it, for a guy that sits in the pastor's seat and has to listen to the baggage and the damage that's created while some of you are drunk, it's easier for me to say, no, thank you. Now listen, what he is saying is this. Some of you know what it's like to be under the influence of a foreign substance, something outside of you that you put in you that makes you do things and say things that you otherwise never would have done or said. How many of you, while under the influence of alcohol, have done some things and said some things that you are not proud of. Anybody? Uh, you could just kind of, loser, loser, right there. Remember that day? Mark, put that one in the lost column, okay? Yeah, you lost that day. So, but this is what Paul's saying. He's like, if you know what that's like, let me give you an analogy. To be under the influence of God's Spirit gives you the power and the desire to do things and say things that you otherwise would not do. He knows us. At our core, we're fools and we'll act foolishly. But when we are under the influence of God's Spirit, we become wise and we say things, we do things, we go places, we perform things that we otherwise never would have the ability to do. And so for that reason, he says, if you want to win, fill your life with God's spirit. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something I will never, ever, ever in church ask you to do. Right now, take a picture this will never happen again. Everybody take out your phone. Okay? Everybody take it out. Take it out. Oh, I left mine. Grace, Grace, give me my phone. Give me my phone. Come on, come, 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 come. Come on, Grace. Come on, come, 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 come. Good, good, good. Thank you. Thank you. Give me yours too. I like your cover. No. Oh, okay. Here. I, I want you to look um, on your phone. I, I don't know what kind of phone you have, but probably up there, in the upper right-hand corner, there is a symbol there. What, what is that symbol of? Your battery. All right. Now, now I want to take a little survey in church this morning. How many of you have at least 
90% right now, your battery is at least 90% full. Raise your hands. Look at all these diligent people that plugged their phone in last night. That is awesome. That's great. Put your hands down. Okay. Now let's find the losers. How many of you, <laughs> just kidding, you are loved. How, seriously, how many of you, your, your battery is less than 20% full right now? Come on, be honest. I got one, two, some of you, they won't admit it, but other people are like, I'm noticing. Now listen, that's a little fun thing. Some of you, some of you are more concerned that your battery is 20% full than you are that you are only 20% full of God's Spirit. I wish that God would give a supernatural ability for me to look at your forehead and just see the little battery meter of how much God's Spirit is filling you. Seriously, what would that look like this morning? Hey, you know how your battery gets full? You plug it in, right? You got to fill it up. It's something intentional you have to remember to do. And some of you would not dream of ever missing the night when you plug your phone in. But how many days do you go by? Go, how many days go by without you plugging into God's Spirit and be filled with God's Spirit? Again, the the English language here is it's translated. It doesn't really give us the best concept of what this actually says. In the original language, the verb tense reads like this. Be being filled continually every day in every moment with God's Spirit. You know what that means? That means you stay plugged in all the time. You never get disconnected. And the reason why we have to be being continually filled, you know why? Is because we are continually leaking. We are. We're holy. H O L, no, W H O L L Y, or however you spell it. We got leaks, right? So we know if we're going to leak, we, we've got to be intentional about being filled. That's what winners do. And so it's like this. Here, here's you. you. You are a dry towel. And when you, when you come to Christ, understand this. When you come to Christ, when you're converted to Christ, you come completely dry and you are immersed into Christ and into his spirit. What's another word for immersed? Baptized, right? Same word. And so... At that point, do you understand, you get all of Jesus you're ever going to get. And you get all of Jesus' Spirit, the Holy Spirit. There's not like Jesus' Spirit and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. You get that? It's all one. You get Christ, you get the Father, and you get all of Him you're ever going to get. So you're baptized into the Spirit. That is a one-time act. But here's the thing. We go through our life, and now that you are absolutely saturated with God's Spirit, look at what happens. 
you, you leak. And that, that's actually a good thing because if people get around you, you leak on them. And you're leaking God's Spirit and your other people are affected because you are filled with God's Spirit. But here's what happens. You go through your day and you finally end up at your algebra class. Okay. Or you have to drive down Grape Road. Or you have to change a poopy diaper. Or you have to deal with a neglectful husband. And what happens? Life has a way of squeezing you, doesn't it? Well, here's the good news. When you get squeezed, whatever's on the inside comes out. And if you are filled with God's Spirit, what comes out when you get squeezed? God's Spirit comes out. But then you get to the end of the day and you've got a problem. You're not quite as filled, are you? And so what do you have to do? You have to be filled again. There's one baptism and there's many fillings. Every day, if you want to win, what do you have to do? You have to be filled with God's Spirit. That's what winners do. That's how winners win. And so don't live like a loser, empty. The reason why a lot of us are not filled is because we're not filled with God's Spirit because we're filled with so much other crud. You have to empty yourself. You plugged into the tournament. You plugged into a movie last night. You plugged into a restaurant. You plugged into relationships. And so you're filled with all of that. There's very little room left over for God's Spirit now, isn't there? Because you've been filled with so many other stuff. If you want to be filled, simple thing. First of all, empty yourself of everything else that competes for God's space. And number two, ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I'm dry. I'm empty. God, would you come fill up the empty space? I am so tired of living under my own power. I am so tired of being controlled by my flesh. I want you to control. I want you to fill and so, God, I believe by faith, third thing, just believe, believe, God, I am filled with your spirit and I am going to operate according to the power of your spirit in every circumstance, every day. So put that on your to-do list. You got your to-do list is uh, be filled with God's spirit. Make sure that's on the to-do list or you're not going to win every day. Here's the fourth thing. Winners. Fill their mouths with praise. Losers complain about everything. Winners fill their mouths with praise. Losers complain about everything. Verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what's cool about this is, did, did, did you notice the Trinity is mentioned there? In verse 18, it talks about being filled with God's Spirit. We get down to verse 20, he says, give thanks to, to God the Father, first person of the Trinity. And then he mentions the second person of the Trinity, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as you're being filled. So we've got, got all three persons of the Trinity mentioned here. And he, he mentions this very important topic of praise and singing. 
And he, he acknowledges that it's, it's horizontal. We're addressing one another because people around you need to hear you sing. You say, not me. Yes, they do. And again, if you're new to Harvest around here, we say whatever you make up, whatever you, um, whatever you lack in beauty, just make up for in volume. All right. Just park that person's hair in the back of you. Address that person in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. So there's the there's the horizontal aspect. We need to hear each other sing. There's some days you can't sing because you're a loser, but you need to hear a winner sing and pull the winning out of you. But then secondly, he mentions the vertical aspect. We're to sing and make melody to the Lord in our heart. And in doing so, we're giving thanks to God for some of the things that happened to us. Uh, is that what it says in verse 20? Giving thanks always for everything good that happens. Is that what it says in verse 20? Now check me on this. Give thanks always for everything to God. Everything? My neglectful husband? Yeah, him too. The poopy diaper? Yeah, that too. Algebra? Mm-hmm. Give thanks to God always in everything. And the moment you don't is the moment you start to lose. So he mentions singing here. And I know that for some of you, you're, that's it's like, uh, no. Maybe in the shower when there's a really awesome song from the 70s, I might break into a song. Now listen, let me, let me show you here how important this is. He mentions three different categories. It's, God doesn't waste words. And so he mentions three different kinds of song. First of all, he mentions psalms. Are you aware that we have a songbook in our Bibles, the book of Psalms, 150, God's top 150 songs of all time, the lyrics are preserved for us in the Bible. And so we, we don't have the melodies, we don't know the way they, they go, but maybe that's the reason that he says you make the melody. You make the melody in your heart. Here's the lyrics, you make some melody. and. Um, if you read the Psalms, the lyrics of those songs, what you find in the Psalms are you find the stories of God's activity among His people. And so you read about through good times and bad times while we're being chased, when we're bumping up against our enemies, and then God gives victory, and so they're celebratory at times. Sometimes they're, they're just tear-filled laments waiting on God to work. And so he says, sing psalms. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 103. It says, bless the Lord at all times. And um, bless the Lord, O my soul. And if you think about it, you're actually singing to yourself. Bless the Lord, soul. You're so lame, loser soul. Bless the Lord. Sometimes you have to speak to yourself like that, right? And we sing a song that's based on Psalm 103. We put a melody to it. You know this song? We sing it around here all the time. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing it out. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship His holy name. You know that? And then 
so he says, sing psalms, but then he gives a second category. He says, hymns, hymns. Now, when we sing hymns, um, I think of singing songs, uh, uh, songs that are filled with the attributes of God. Reminds us of his faithfulness and his holiness and his constancy. It reminds us of, uh, of his goodness to us. And even sometimes it reminds us of, of the depth of our sin and the way that he's redeemed us. They're very Trinitarian in nature. Almost all hymns that you sing to the Father, you sing to the Son, you sing to the Spirit. Do you, do you know this hymn? Holy, holy, holy. Holy. says sing psalms and hymns and then he mentions another category what is it spiritual songs now I don't know what you think about a spiritual song but I, I think about something with this is very simple it has a simple melody to it and many times there's psalms there's songs of adoration and, and just adoring God and devotion and they even have a level of commitment it's a prayer from my spirit to God's spirit and probably one of my favorite ones right now that we sing around here is, I have set my heart on you. Do you know that? I have set my heart, set my, set my heart on you. You have every part of me. I set my heart on you. Sing it again. better when you started singing? It did. I could have quoted those lyrics to you, but there's something about a song. There's something that God put in the human emotion to express through beauty and artistry. It draws our heart to God. And some of you are losing because you're not singing every day. You may be singing some stupid Taylor Swift song or Lady Gaga, no loser, all right? <laughs> go out at the end of the service, go over to our resource center and buy the Vertical Church CDs and learn those songs. And then you'll come in here and explode as we gather because winners fill their mouths with praise. And when your mouth is filled with praise, there's very little time left over to complain about your circumstance. Give thanks always to God for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the last one. Winners fill their relationships with submission. Losers demand control. Look at verse 21. 
He says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. To submit, that word is a Greek word, the word is hupotasso. It's a military term where you have two equals, sergeant, private. But the private voluntarily submits himself under the authority of another equal. The, the sergeant's not better and he's equal. He's a human being. But out of, out of a heart of submission, what the private does is understands, you know what? I play a role on the team and right now I'm not in charge. But I can submit myself, make myself available so that I can be a part of a team that wins. Do you know what a person who submits does? He makes himself available to another person so that person can win. He understands it's not all about me and I can't always be in charge. I may not get to call the plays, but I'm happy to be on the field and play my role well. Can I ask you this? How do you do dealing with authority? Do you support or do you criticize those in positions of authority? Are you easily led? Do your authorities just kind of have to give you some suggestions and advice? Or do they have to kick you in the pants and continually remind you and replace you with somebody who can submit to authority? Submitting understands I'm not always going to be in charge, but I play a very key role on the team. Are you in a position of authority? Some of you are saying, yeah, I wish the people would submit to me. Now listen, if you are in a position of authority, you understand this verse is for you too, submitting to one another. If you're a parent, who's in charge? Parent. But does a parent submit himself to his children? Sure he does. He gets down on his knees and he communicates on their language and you have to serve them, you have to feed them, you have to change their diapers because they can't do it themselves. You're submitting yourself because you want this person to win. And you realize that in a position of leadership, you still submit yourself to one another. Now, the last phrase is so significant. Do you see what it says? Out of reverence for Christ. Because God knows you're not going to do it because you think that person is all that great. It's because of your reverence for Christ that this person gets served and respected and followed and supported. And so we submit to one another out of our reverence for Christ. Anywhere there is a population of more than one, submission is necessary. Otherwise, we will go to war, our marriages will end in divorce, and we will split our church. So we submit to one another. We voluntarily choose to serve and make other people win because we've got something to bring to the game. So how are you doing? Put that on your checklist. Today, every day, I'm going to find somebody else I could submit, submit myself to for the purpose of making that person a winner. So let me ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Are you winning or are you losing? If you're losing, maybe it's because these things haven't been on your to-do list. And before we continue, why don't you just open your heart to God and tell him, say, God, I wanna be a winner. And so this week, every day, I'm gonna listen to the voice of wisdom. As you speak, I'm not gonna act foolishly. I'm not going to say no, God. I'm going to listen to the voice of wisdom every day. Maybe there's some things on your calendar 
need to cut out. You're doing so many good things without God, there's very little time for best things that are gonna last for eternity. But you tell the Lord, Lord, every day this week, I wanna do the best things. And why don't you ask him right now to fill you with his spirit, empty yourself out of everything else that's been competing. Maybe for some of you, there really is an issue with a substance. Repent of that. And ask God's Spirit to fill you so that you can exercise power under His control. And then would you just fill your heart with praise? Maybe for you, the hardest thing you've ever done is to thank God for a difficult circumstance, a difficult person, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, is there someone that God has put on your heart that you need to submit to? Maybe it's an authority structure. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's someone that actually ranks under you, but God's calling you to help that person win. Father, we've heard your spirit speak to us today. Thank you for the clarity of your word. And God, we realize that it's only because of the victory that you won on the cross that we have any chance of being a part of your team. And so out of reverence for you, the victory that you've won, Lord, we want to end every day saying we made that day count for you. So God, fill us with your spirit and help us to praise you even now. In Jesus' name.